Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. May my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, um, every now and then you bump up against a scripture, and, um, and as a preacher, you're like, what, what? I mean, what am I supposed to say about this, really? I mean, you know, the truth is none of us, not one of us here, not one of us online, not any one of us wants to suffer. It's not something we go after, you know. It's not something we seek. And yet, um, this scripture today, Jesus is pretty clear about what the way is for him and what he is calling us to be and become. So I have to tell you, I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this scripture and what I was going to say. And there are times when I think, well, maybe I just should confess that and sit down. And maybe y'all hope that too, but I'm not. <laughs> We're in the Gospel of Mark this year, and um, I love the Gospel of Mark. I like it because it's so precise and concise. And interestingly enough, um, the scripture we just heard read is the second in a series of three predictions by Jesus that he will die and rise on the third day. He had a confrontation with Simon Peter in the previous chapter uh, when being asked, who do people say that I am? And, and Peter seems to assume that he is... Uh, the glorified Messiah, the one who will ride in on a white horse and champion the day. And Jesus sets that aside. And in this one, we get another, and then the next chapter will have another similar prediction. Clearly, for the gospel writer of Mark, this dialogue these three dialogues are the central essence of this gospel. And what's interesting um, is that he, in each of these asks questions directed to these disciples, sort of um, directed at their fears. What are you afraid of? Have you still no faith? Remember, faith in the gospel can be translated as trust. Do you still not trust God? Do you still not trust me? For Mark, faith is about trust and courage. And in the face of Jesus' teaching about his suffering and resurrection, we get the question of, of what are you afraid? Jesus the, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is always on the move. And uh, this, this passage tells us that now he's back home in Galilee. And he's seeking a quiet place because he's got an important 
teaching to convey to these disciples, these followers. He repeats the basic teaching that was in the previous scripture that the human one or the one of humanity, the human one will have to suffer, but now adds another piece to this suffering. Jesus says he will be betrayed into human hands. Notice he doesn't say he will be betrayed into the Jewish authorities' hands. He doesn't say he will be betrayed into the Roman Empire hands. He says he will be betrayed into human hands. Oh, wow. He says this to these disciples and to all of us. The disciples don't understand and are afraid to ask him about it. And the reason they're afraid to ask him about it, because all along the way to Galilee, they've been talking about who is the greatest. Oh, well, I'm the greatest. You know, my two sisters and I, I'm the middle of three daughters, and we had one bathroom growing up. And so we'd stand there in front of the mirrors while getting ready for school. And uh, we'd say things like, well, mom and dad love me the best. <laughs> or I'm the prettiest. Or, you know, you know the game you play with siblings and well, that's what they've been doing. They've been trying to out-best each other, trying to out-great each other. The disciples don't understand his way of talking about greatness. And they don't ask also because they don't want to know. They don't want to know what the suffering's going to be. Their inkling, obvious, is that they're going to have to suffer too. If they're going to follow him, they're also going to suffer. And so they're just not interested, uh, not interested in that. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to ask about it. And they kind of remember how Jesus crawled all over Simon Peter. Uh, you know, get behind me, Satan, Jesus had said to him. Remember, by the world standards, these disciples come from the lowest end of the social ladder. Fishermen, shepherds, tax collector, and so on. But now, in following Jesus, they've, they've stepped up the ladder a little bit, right? They're part of an inside circle. They've watched Jesus and the great crowds of people that followed him. And they've heard him teach. And they know that he has um, forgiven people in God's name and healed the sick and cast out demons for God's sake. They stepped up from the ladder. And they've heard Jesus speak to them about the whole realm of God is now. Right? But... Now Jesus is saying the opposite. All the great things, you know, Jesus is saying that following him will bring suffering and rejection. Not honor, but dishonor. Not greatness, but disgrace. And they're frightened, and I don't, frankly, blame them. I think many people who find themselves uh, touched by the mystery of God and wanting to love God and follow Jesus and do all that, sometimes you get scared because you don't know what God's going to ask of you, right? 
And this is the disciples. Then Jesus offers them an object lesson. You know, Jesus was such a great storyteller, such a great teacher of parables, so, so great at all of this, but this is an object lesson here. It's a, it's a children's message, right? An actual object lesson, taking a child and putting it in the midst of them because children were worthless. They were only good when they got old enough to work. And if a child was born and the dad didn't like him, they could just leave him out on the carpet. So children were the lowest of the low. But Jesus says, whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. Wow. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not just me, but the very one who sent me, my Abba God. When I think about our own circumstances, I, I think maybe we're a little bit like those disciples. I mean, I mean, you just got to look at our world and especially our country and, and say, you know, we're, we're sort of eaten up with power, right? We're sort of eaten up with prestige and privilege and, and to some degree wealth. Uh, we are the wealthiest country in the world. And yet, people who can see this church, there are children living in, within a few miles of this church who don't have enough to eat at night when they go to bed. So we're going to have to ask that question too. Of what are we afraid? We live pretty comfortable lives, I'd say. You know, they say that if you have a home, you're rich beyond measure by world standards. If you have a roof over your head, you're rich beyond measure by the world standards. And it's not that, you know, we don't or won't suffer. I mean, we know that, right? It's part of our humanity. You know, we're not super people. You know, we're not Wonder Woman. We're not Superman. There will be suffering. And part of it's that we love so deeply that if you're going to love Suffering comes along with that. So what would it mean? This is what I wrestled with all week. What does it mean to really follow Jesus then? If Jesus is saying that, you know, following me means, you know, a, a different definition of greatness. What would it mean for us to follow Jesus as individuals and as the church? I think part of our thing about suffering is that we just don't want to look at it. You know, it's hard to be with someone who is suffering. It's hard. And so we don't like it. And let's confess that like those early disciples, our lives too are largely constructed through class associations. 
networking with relatively powerful, connected, and well-to-do, and sidestepping powerless people, isolated people. This week's story shines a light on what Jesus is all about, all about, and what it means to follow him. The idea of descending into servanthood helps clarify the meaning of the cross and the resurrection. It's about God having the world, saving the world through vulnerability and love. That's what it's about. Catholic theologian Henry Nouwen described this movement as downward mobility. You know, we always think of upward mobility, but Nouwen describes the movement in following Jesus as downward mobility. Downward mobility. Well, what does that look like in my life, and what does it look like in our life together? And this isn't just about the cross. This is Jesus' mission. Think about... Think about the birth of Jesus. Jesus is born into a, a poor family in a know-nothing backwater town. This downward mobility is, is sung in the great hymn of Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus descends into the world giving up all the glory in order to be with us, right? The incarnation. So, how do we make this ours today? How do we embrace this? Jesus said, you know, you want to save your life, then lose it. Give it away. And that's hard to do. Jesus says, saving your own life is not the way, but giving it up and turning toward your neighbors in love and generosity. Because that is where we will find Jesus. Right there, in the midst of those who are dispossessed. Now, we can't do this alone. That is why we have the church. Now, you're wondering how I got here, aren't you? That's why we have the church, a collection of people who love God and want to follow Jesus and who know that maybe they're not so good at it all the time and who are open to the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives and in the world. This is the church. And I'm pretty excited to be on this journey with you. And, and here's the thing, why we are the church is because every week we need to be reminded again and again and again of what it means to be truly great until it becomes part of our hearts and minds and souls, until we can live it without thinking about it, right? You know, there's a thing called muscle memory. Do you all know about that? Muscle memory that if you do certain things enough that y your muscles will revert back to that. And, uh, you know, it's what athletes do. They, they learn how to do something, and then they are able to do that. It's what singers do, right? It's what dancers do. Uh, it's what people who work out do, that if you do the right form every week, then pretty soon it gets to be second nature. We don't have, you don't have to think about it. And that's why, you know, golfers amaze us, because then they make these putts, and putting is really hard. 
I just want to say. And they make these putts, these long putts. And it's because, I mean, and millions of people are watching them, but they make them because they've got this muscle memory. They've got this concentration, this muscle memory going on. And that's why we have the church. That's why we have the church, in order to be able to get the muscle memory, you know? So if we practice, if every week we come to church and we learn and we practice compassion and justice and peacemaking and downward mobility enough, we will be awakened and aware of the people around us who are there and Jesus in the midst of them who need us and our care, the dispossessed, the disinherited, the disrespected, the disenfranchised. And then it becomes muscle memory. Years ago, I was uh, teaching at Texas A&M, and I was busy, 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 young professional. And my parents lived there in Bryan, uh, and I realized that I hadn't seen them in a couple of weeks. And so I took all my papers that I needed to grade, and I plopped them down on my parents' kitchen table and uh, started grading. And my mother came in and sat down and said, uh, your grandmother Mary's dying, and your dad's gone to see her. And so I said, well, then I'm going. She goes, well, she might die. I said, I know, I'm going. And um, my dad met me. Well, no, he was at home, and so he was going. My mom said he was going to see her, so I went with him. And as we came into the nursing home, this is long before he was Papa Hutt, by the way. Uh, as we came into the nursing home, uh, his mother is dying. And there's a little boy standing by the water fountain, and he must be about three years old. And he's jumping to try to get up there to get a drink of water. And my dad stops and picks him up so that he can get a sip of water. His mother's dying. And he just had that kind of muscle memory in him to care for the least. And sure enough, by the time we got to her room, she joined the church triumphant. It was an amazing lesson. It was an amazing lesson to move from great to greater to greatest with downward mobility. This is the true greatness, according to Jesus. And this is the church we are called to be. Thanks be to God. Amen.